1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. We did something a little different last Wednesday. I was talking about five ways to get what you want from the Word of God. I don't think I'm going to have time to review. And a uh, lady just came out in the fellowship atrium last Wednesday and begged me for point number five. And I said, well, you have to, you know, it's all online. You know, Austin said last Sunday we have people from Australia and Israel and those poor people in Australia. And uh, they got locked down for the fifth time over two cases. I'm not talking about 2,000 dead. I'm talking about two cases. Uh, here's a news flash for the entire world. Sometimes people get sick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? So we salute you, Australia, now that you're a prison continent once again. Uh, so five ways to get what you want from God. And I don't have time to review. So last Wednesday, if you're curious about points one to four, that's what online is about last Wednesday. All right, number one from last week, ask. John 16, 23 and 24, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. First uh, John 5, 14, 15, this, the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. So on the basis of those two scriptures, John 16, 23, 24, 1 John 5, 14, 15, I've often said people don't get answers because they don't follow instructions. There is a way to pray. You pray to the Father. In the name of Jesus. And then you pray according to the word of God, which is the will of God. Now, I'm not telling you how to pray. I'm just saying how you get answers. Amen. You know, you can bow your head and say creepers, jeepers, uh, whatever you want to do. But I'm saying if you want to get an answer, well, there's a way to go about it. And that's follow instructions. So number one, ask. Number two, make a faith demand a demand of faith. And when we read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, uh, this seems to primarily be employed in the use of Christian ministry. The basis, John 14, 13, 14, and I will do whatever you ask. But the Greek word is ateo, which means demand. An example is Acts 3, 6, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So he's not really asking. And if you think about it, people have trouble with this, but he's not telling God to do anything. Think about it. He's not asking, and he's not telling God to do anything. People have trouble with this. I've had people complain in the past. Well, you're trying to tell God what to do. No, I'm making a demand of faith. I'm making a demand in faith. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this is, of course, especially powerful in casting out devils. You know, the world, the world counsels devils and medicates devils. Uh, but what's effective is to cast them out in the name of Jesus. Number three, confession. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And of course, Mark eleven twenty two to 24, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And think about how they've trained the entire population of the world 
to say what they're afraid of. It's amazing to me. Number four, speak to it, whatever it is. Speak to it, whatever it is. And we left off there last Wednesday, of course, the illustration that led to Mark 11, 22, 23, 24, where Jesus spoke to a fig tree. And I know people can get worked up about this. You know, why did he curse a nice fig tree? Uh, you know, it was a sermon illustration. It was a sermon illustration. Amen. And generally, we don't walk around cursing stuff. Generally, we, we speak life to things. Amen. After the horrible freeze here in February, I was walking around my property speaking life to things. Amen. Amen. And I think it's fine. You know, it's not that we want stuff dead, but, you know, on my property, we confess things away. You know? We had a skunk move onto the property and we just said in the name of Jesus, it'd be a great idea if he moved over to somebody else's property. Amen. <laughs> so in other words, but we get what we say. Don't be saying, man, I'm going to get skunked. Amen. Because, you know, you'd be, a, you'd be stinking a month. And then the fifth point. So five ways to get what you want from God. Ask. Make a faith demand, a demand of faith, confession. Speak to it, whatever it is. And then five, take action on the word of God. Now, why would God, I said Sunday in the offering, Joshua 1.8, why would God give you a formula for success and prosperity if God didn't want you to be successful and prosperous? And if God could give you five different ways that I've, brought up the last two Wednesdays for you to get what you want from God. Why is it a bad thing for you to get what you want from God? Jesus said, if you abide in me, I gave you this last Wednesday, if you abide in me and, and you abide in my word, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you because people always have a problem and they say, well, how can God promise to give me whatever I want? Well, because it's based on you being in him and his word being in you, if you're in him and his word is in you, you're not going to ask for things contrary to the word of God. You're not going to ask God to make you the biggest drug dealer in Arlington, Texas. You're not going to ask God for four wives. You're not going to ask God for something that is contrary to the word of God. And then we covered this out of 1 John, that when we ask, we have to ask according to the word, which is the will of God. So number five, take action on the word of God. And I'm going to do something I've never done, 45 years preaching the gospel. I'm going to get into some of the history of why people have trouble with this. Now, let me give you a quick illustration. I think I gave this last Wednesday night. Years ago, our family was headed to Cancun for vacation. And I don't travel with that bag anymore. But the bag I was traveling with, some way, somehow, the end of the power cord got under the weight of the computer. I set the computer down on the floor and it ruined the power plug to the computer. I, I don't realize this till I'm, I'm in Cancun in the hotel. And I realize, well, I can't, I can't get power. So I could have just stood there in the, in the suite and said, you know, I believe I receive a power cord. I believe I receive a power cord. And I'd be there years later. I believe I receive a power cord. Right? But that's not what I did there. I just, you know... Uh, texting had been invented by that time. So I texted Vicki and I said, here's where there's a extra power cord in, either in my office or at the house and get that and put Aaron Wood on the first jet tomorrow morning to Cancun. Bring me another power cord. And uh, action. See, everybody wants to be a millionaire that's not a liar. But how many people are saving money? So, I mean, what methods are available to you to become a millionaire if you're not saving money? I guess you could kill a rich relative. Uh, lottery tickets. Or $25 an hour COVID unemployment, I guess, could get you there. But you still have to invest it. But I mean, really, stop and think about it. If you don't save money, 
what methods are available to you to become a millionaire. Now, I've never done this in 45 years, but I'm going to explain why Baptist people have trouble with the concept of taking action on the Word of God. In 48 years, I've not had much success dealing with what I call Bapticostals. What's a Bapticostal? People who grew up Baptist and then received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And one reason is they utterly reject the concept of taking action on the Word of God. Now, why? That's the issue. Why? Why do Bapticostals, you know, they were, I don't know that they're the largest full gospel church in the county now. We may be because we're holding church. But the church that was the largest full gospel church in the county, I mean, you talk about off the rails and out of control. They, they were having children prophesy over children in children's church. Now, this is just stupid. Yeah, I am the elder in the county as far as pastors, and I'm telling you, it's stupid. I wouldn't even let you all adults on a Wednesday night prophesy over each other <laughs> because I have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth. Amen. Do you understand? Amen. And then the Apostle Paul taught that prophecy is to be judged so if you tell children or teach children to prophesy over each other in children's church, who's judging it? So, okay, but we're going to deal with why. In 1517, tell your neighbor, that was a while ago. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Roman Catholic Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And it was a rejection of papalism, a rejection of selling indulgences for forgiveness or even salvation. And it was a rejection of a religion whereby works earned a person their salvation. Now, none of this is taught. And I dare say, if you went to Bible school or seminary, it still is not taught even there. People just don't understand the background of where a lot of this comes from. Now, by works, I do not mean what we would call action or taking action. The Roman Catholic Church had people doing works. The rottenness of the Roman Catholic Church was at the heart of Martin Luther's attack on it in 1517 when he wrote the 95 Theses, thus sparking the German Reformation, the Reformation of the Church. Okay. So what, were, what was he reacting against? Well, keeping the local priest happy was seen as a prerequisite to going to heaven. I mean, how in the world do you think they abused all these boys for centuries? My children were horrified. They were horrified. Uh, on one trip to Europe, we had preached in... Uh, what's that French town on the ride? Strasbourg. I had preached in... I'd preached in Strasbourg and then north of there in Hagenau in 1983. And in a later vacation, we took the, church, the children to Strasbourg. And, you know, whenever you visit any of those towns, you know, a typical stop is the church. And, you know, my daughter was freaked out because of all these skull and bones images and, you know, freaky looking stuff. And so, you know, we pay whatever, the two bucks for the tour, or whatever. And, and they're, they're open about it. They take us back to the a graveyard and here's the sanctified ground and this is where the the saints were buried and and this is the unsanctified ground and and this is where they buried the 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 babies that were born to the nuns by the priests that they murdered after they were born i mean to add insult to injury i mean if you're gonna kill a kid after it's born and then stick it in unsanctified ground i mean i'm talking about their theology So they didn't start with boys. They started with women. Then they, they moved to boys. Okay, but how, how can this go on? See, I pastor a tough crowd. I see new people here. I pastor a tough crowd. If I said to Derek here, you know, if you want to go to heaven, you got to wash my car. Well, he's just too smart for this because he's been taught the word. Do you understand? 
And he'd probably say something like, well, pastor, I love you, but I ain't washing your car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In other words, but they were, te- they were teaching people the way to heaven is to keep the priest happy, which means you have to submit to what? Well, nearly anything, right? That's just one thing. Rich families could buy high positions for their sons in the Catholic Church. So let's say you had a son and he was a dim bulb and he couldn't, uh, he couldn't be a doctor or he couldn't be a lawyer. So you thought, well, you know, I want him to be a bishop. Well, all it took is a donation. Peasants had to pay for a child to be christened. You had to pay to bury someone from your family in the sanctified ground. And being a member wasn't enough. You had to pay. You were expected to work on church land for free for a specified number of days a week. I mean, I pastor a tough crowd. There's no way I could get away with this. Uh, let's say because the school teachers want to have a garden over here, and it's a great idea. The problem is, uh, well, I know one thing. I'm not, being, I'm not going to be in charge of it. So, uh, but if I said, okay, we have a garden over here, so... You know, Garrett, if you want to go to heaven, you have to work in the church garden two days a week. Well, this just wouldn't fly because you guys know the word. Your word taught, right? And you, you know what you'd be saying? Where's that in the Bible? <laughs> but that's what they were doing to the people. Now, how were they doing it to the people? Because the Roman Catholic Church had translated the Bible from the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek and the Aramaic in the New Testament to Latin. And then their services were in Latin. 1526, wasn't it? William Tyndall did the first translation of the Bible into English. And what did the Roman Catholic Church do to him? They, did they burn him at the stake? I mean, they were committed to keeping the word of God from the people. Because if the people have the word of God, they can sense abuse, and also they know what's biblical, and they know what's not biblical. Right? Okay, so what are these, what are these modern preachers doing when they, you know, Billy, Billy Graham used to say that he averaged 50 verses a sermon in his sermons, 50 verses from the Bible. And anybody that ever watched him on television knows he would tell you where he was reading from or quoting from in the Bible. Why? Why do that? Why do we do that here at Faith Christian Center? So you can look it up. Okay, so the same thing is going on now in medicine and Science. <laughs> we watched a documentary, 75 Minutes, uh, last night. Uh, Russian, well, his, his name is Russian. I don't know that he's of Russian descent. He's an Orthodox Jewish MD, Vladimir Zelenko. So he presents all this data, and he says, look, I'm not telling you what to believe. You can look this up here. You can look this up here. You can look this up here. He said, you look it up and you come to your own conclusions. Versus that famous guy in Washington who says, I am science. You get it? See, on the one hand is somebody saying, here's the chapter, here's the verse. You look it up. You judge for yourself. Versus... Well, I'm a priest, and I'm tell- and the Bible's in Latin, and the services are in Latin, so you need to work two days a week in the church farm. Well, how do you know? Because you can't read the Bible. So do you see the abuses Martin Luther came up under? He whipped, his, he whipped himself, I mean... He was all scarred on his back from whipping himself as a monk trying to earn sanctification. Now, don't you know, you could go home and get 15 belts and whip your back and scar your back 
And you could do that a week, a month, a year, and you would never get to a place where you felt righteous. You know that as well as I do. But if you pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, you can come to a place where you sense you're clean. Do you understand the difference? 1 John 1, 9. The church sold relics. This was one of the most egregious abuses. These were officially sanctioned by the Vatican. These were pieces of straw, hay, white feathers from a dove's, pieces of wood that were supposed to be pieces from the cross. And they were sold to people as the things that had been nearest to Jesus on earth. I mean, think about it. I bring you a piece of straw, and I say, this is a piece of straw that Jesus laid on in the manger. And it's only $10,000. This splinter came off the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and most likely has his blood in it. And you all thought televangelists were bad. So pieces of straw, hay, feathers from doves, pieces of wood that were sold to people as the things that had been nearest to Jesus on the earth. Another thing that was grievous to Martin Luther was the church sold indulgences. These were certificates produced in bulk that had been pre-signed by the Pope which pardoned a person's sins and gave you access to heaven. Basically, if you knew that you had sinned, you would wait until a partner was in your region selling an indulgence and purchase one as the Pope, being God's representative on earth, would forgive you your sins and you would be pardoned. And of course, if you were like I am, I mean, I believe in backup. I mean, whatever I got in my house, you know, sliced jalapenos, Cheez-Its, I I believe in backup. So if I'd been alive back then, I'd have bought four or five in advance, (laughs) getting ready. And this industry was later expanded to allow people to buy an indulgence for dead relatives who might be in purgatory or hell to forgive them of their sins and get them out of purgatory or get them out of hell. I mean, what a racket. You know, uh, here's a, an, an indulgence sold by the Pope, and, you know, your, your, your dad, you know, he wasn't a believer. He, he went to hell. So you can buy this. You know, this is just $25,000, and, you know, your dad will zip I mean, he'll be, he'll, be, he'll be beamed out of hell and he'll be beamed into heaven because the Pope says so. They had pilgrimages. <coughs> These were very much supported by the Catholic Church as a pilgrim would end up at a place of worship that was owned by the Catholic Church and money could be made by the sale of badges, holy water, certificates to prove that you had been to such and such a place and completed your journey. Uh, we went to Israel in 2014. You know, I, I regretted uh, that I hadn't gone sooner. I regretted that I hadn't taken the children. So we went in 2014. Uh, but, you know, I saw it. And so all of these places are owned by the Roman Catholic Church to this day. And so in Bethlehem, and you don't want to go to Bethlehem. It's under, what do they call that? It's, it's Palestinian, under Palestinian control. Yeah, you don't want to go there. And there's a, a silver seal on the floor of this Roman Catholic church where supposedly Jesus lay. <laughs> of course, I guess they're not doing this under COVID, but I mean, people just lined up to kiss the floor and then of course they're selling stuff I think I I think there's a story in the Bible about selling stuff and so you know they're selling stuff they're selling mementos and everything because you know you to prove you had been to the place 
and then the, on Golgotha, and nobody knows really where Golgotha was, but everywhere you go. So they still own the property. So in light of these abuses, one of Martin Luther, Luther's key doctrines was sola fide. Faith only. But of course, he didn't invent it. Because you and I have English Bibles, we know about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, sola fide, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. Isn't it wonderful to have a, a modern translation that you can read? Amen. Say it out loud. By faith, by faith. Not, by not by works. Say it again. By faith, by faith. Not, by works. not by works. So that no one can boast. So when people from... Baptist or Anabaptist heritage walk into our doors and hear us teach about taking action, most times they don't like that. And most of this is not my fault. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, it's not pastor's fault. It's not pastor's fault. And we're going to see this evening, most of the problem comes from the translation of James 2 in the King James Bible. That's it. That's the problem. The problem, say it out loud, the problem, the problem. Is, the is the translation of James 2 in the King James Bible. Okay, James 2, King James, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? Yeah, I'm prompted by the Spirit to bring something up. So let me go to James 1. Well, let me start from verse 1. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Uh-oh. So who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. But see, they don't, they don't go that deep in their analysis. He's writing to brothers. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, and the devils also believe and tremble. But, thou, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So do you see it? And I've never even brought this up for 45 years, although I've known it. But this is the problem. And so people from a Baptist or an Anabaptist heritage come in here, and, and they're, they're right, they're right, they're right, they're right. Sola fide. That, because that's what Paul taught in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. They're correct. You cannot, tell your neighbor, you can't earn your salvation. But the problem is not with the book of James. The problem is with the King James translation of the book of James. So when they read that word works, it puts them off. When they read the word works, the Baptist, the Anabaptist heritage, which is a fabulous heritage to have, just rebels. And this is why the book of James is not a favorite in, among churches of those traditions. Okay, now you know what the NIV says. The, the NIV says, I think, deeds. 
Let me give you Weymouth's translation. Kenneth Hagin, whenever he taught out of James 2, he would use Weymouth's translation. Uh, and you can look at this online. I just bought uh, a, a Weymouth New Testament. I'd never owned one. I thought I needed to get one. James 2, 14, Weymouth. What good is it, my brethren, if a man professes to have faith and yet his actions do not correspond? So in the Word of Faith heritage, which I am very much a part of, that's where we get the phrase corresponding action. Now this, to me, makes it very understandable. I mean, I could say to Sue, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if I'm like the Willie Nelson song, and, and I go here and I go there, but I say, you were always on my mind. <laughs> well, that's not corresponding actions. Amen. Can you see that? So we can get it now. And that's why I'm a fanatic on getting a good modern translation that is accurate, that you like. You know, and there's a balance. Austin dealt with this, I think, Sunday at 11 o'clock. There's a balance between accuracy and readability. Probably the most accurate translation of the New Testament is the New American Standard Version of the Bible, NASB, but it's like 50 miles of unpaved road to sit and read it. The, uh, the New International Version, I started out with a 78 version. 78 version is the first version that they did the whole Bible in. Actually, I started before that. They had come out with just the New Testament earlier than that. I picked that up at Central Bible College as my favorite translation. It was just a little less accurate than, than the New American Standard Bible, but it was much more readable. And when I started out in the ministry, I thought I need to have a Bible that people can read and understand and is accurate. And I need to, I need to use a Bible that they're actually going to follow me in reading. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, now, I just quoted a few minutes ago, Mark eleven twenty two to 24 in the King James Version. Why? There are certain passages where, and I don't know why, but especially faith verses somehow in the New Testament are more powerful out of the King James. Why? I don't know. A lot of it, Austin dealt with this Sunday at 11 o'clock, is the prejudice of the PhDs on these committees. They have prejudices, just like you do. And so when they come to certain words, um, their theological prejudices can come through. And then also, uh, at a graveside today, I read the 23rd Psalm out of the King James. The most beautiful words penned in the English language are Psalm 23 in the King James Bible. Forget Shakespeare. Psalm 23, King James Bible, the most beautiful words ever penned in English. So, you know, I, I keep both very handy. You know, both versions are on my desk at home. All the other versions are on the shelf, but those two versions I keep handy. What good is it, my brethren, if a man professes to have faith and yet his actions do not correspond, can such faith save him? Suppose a Christian brother or sister is poorly clad or lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, I wish you well, keep yourselves warm and well fed, and yet you do not give them what they need. What is the use of that? So also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience. Now he switches gears, Weymouth, and he uses the word obedience. So also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, of course, no offense, and I know this is offensive. Sometimes, you know, you think, does he know what he's saying is offensive? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of these same folks out of the Baptist or Anabaptist heritage, they have a problem with obedience. And I'm not sure what that's about. Now listen, I'm just trying to help you. Amen. Amen. You can believe in Jesus and get saved and be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven and live a life of disobedience. Yes, you can. But I don't see the point of it. Because 
there is too much reward on the line for obedience. And then what kind of person aspires to be disobedient? Do you understand? Now, I realize I'm not everybody's cup of tea because I, I do. I get it. I understand these things even though I don't talk about them much because I understand that a lot of people are just interested in a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's, I understand that, but I'm not hardwired that way. I'm hardwired this way. You show me the prize, and I want it. And you show me what I have to do to get to the prize, and I'm willing to do it. That's the way I'm hardwired. The whole idea of being sick and poor and defeated and living here 60, 70, 80 years sick and poor and defeated and dying and go to heaven, that, that just doesn't appeal to me. Right. Yeah. That just doesn't ring my bell. Right. You know? Uh, and so I know from the Word of God, not just the Old Testament, the New Testament, not just the New Testament, the Old Testament, that there's, there's all these rewards for being a doer of the Word of God and obey. And so I don't have a problem with it. I realize a lot of people do. I don't. Verse 17, so also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it so long as it stands alone. It has what? No life in it. Nay, verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. Now he switches to actions. It's interesting. So these are synonyms, is the way I take it. This, this version of the Bible, it has an interesting history to it. This version of the Bible would have fallen out of print. But somewhere way back, some superintendent, somebody in the Assemblies of God denomination uh, just thought that it was important and they, they printed so many and they ordered so many that they kept it in circulation for I don't know how many decades and kept it alive. Because you understand a lot of these translations have just gone by the wayside. The first translation of the Bible into English, the William Tyndall, I think 1526, you know, we hunted and hunted and hunted to find a PDF download, and all you can find is pictures of the original. In other words, nobody's ever taken the time to typeset it so that you can actually read it, because in the original, when it was printed, 1526, the font was so fancy, it's just hardly, you can't read it. So a lot of these translations of the Bible have fallen by the wayside. So it's interesting to me because, you know, we lived amongst those folks from 1970, I did, from 1970 to 1983, and, and they, they didn't strike me as being a bunch of faith proponents, but they kept this translation alive single-handedly and promoted it to their pastors. Now that's all gone. They're not, they're not doing that anymore. Verse 18, nay, someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. So, so far he's translated this word, actions, obedience, actions, and then corresponding actions. Someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. Prove to me your faith apart from corresponding actions. And that's that phrase that Kenneth Hagin made famous, corresponding actions. Say it out loud, corresponding actions. Corresponding actions. So you've heard me say this over the years, that in order for my faith to have the greatest impact on my life, I've got to have the forces of my life lined up and moving in the same direction, what I believe, what I say, and what I do. And that's the juice. Because if I believe one thing and say a second thing and do a third thing, my life has no power. But if I can get these three forces of life lined up and moving in the same direction. And what's the series about Wednesday night? What are we in? What are we calling this Wednesday night series? Faith and prayer. And so I'm trying to help you get your prayers answered. That's what I'm doing here. So to get your prayers answered, it would be a good idea to have what you believe and what you confess, what you say and what you do lined up and moving in the same direction. So, for example, I can't come down here on Sunday and say, well... 
Jesus took up my infirmities and bore my diseases, and with his stripes I have been healed, and then go home Sunday afternoon and tell Sue, you know, I feel as sick as a dog, and then Monday call in sick, when really maybe I'm not so sick, maybe I'm over it, but I just want a day off. See, in other words, now I got three different things going on. And so that's why believers' lives lack power. You have faith, I have actions. Prove to me your faith apart from corresponding actions, and I will prove mine to you by my actions. You believe that God is one, and you are quite right. Evil spirits also believe this and shudder. So believing God is not really all that commendable. Demons believe God... In fact, demons believe God, I don't care who you are, even me, demons believe God more than I do. Because they've seen him. I, I did see him once. Uh, I saw, yeah. But they've seen him. Satan has stood in the throne room of God. I've never stood in the throne room of God. Satan has beheld him. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about a theophany, a uh, 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 God pulling back the veil and allowing you to see him on earth. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seeing him there. Actually, it's in the north. Seeing him there on his throne. I've never seen that. And no man has ever seen that. No, no, no man in a house of flesh has ever seen that. Because they couldn't live. But Satan has seen that. So, believing God, quote-unquote, believing God, that's not the power. You believe that God is one and you are quite right. Evil spirits also believe this and shudder, but idle boaster, are you willing to be taught how it is that faith apart from obedience is worthless? Say it out loud. Faith, faith. Apart, from apart from obedience is worthless. Is worthless. Take the case of Abraham, our forefather. Was it or was it not because of his actions that he was declared to be righteous as the result of his having offered up his son Isaac upon the altar? You notice that his faith was cooperating with his actions. I love it. His, say it out loud. His faith, his faith was, cooperating was cooperating with his actions. With his actions. See, and I, 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 I just regret, I just regret the King James translation of James 2. Because if they had just used different words, but they used that word works over and over and over, and it got rejected by a lot of good people. But when you read it in the New International Version, and you know uh, this is 84, or you read it in Weymouth, I don't think it's so offensive. You notice that his faith was cooperating with his actions, and that by his actions, his faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and his faith was placed to his credit as righteousness, and he received the name of God's friend. You all see that it is because of actions that a man is pronounced righteous and not simply because of faith. Now, why people have trouble with this, I have no idea, because I just finished Second Kings, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, anybody that has a problem with this really is either A, not very bright, or B, doesn't read the Bible. Because every king, it says whether every king was righteous or evil. And then it says what they, what they believed in their heart. Is that what it says? No. It, it lists all of their intentions. Is that what it does? Okay, so on every king, and there was not a single good king of Israel. They were all wicked. There were some good kings of Judah. Most were wicked. And then when it lists the name, so-and-so became king, and he was evil or he was good, what does the Bible do then in every case? It lists what? It lists what? What they did. When I was a little boy, we moved from there when I was five, so this is pre-age five recollection. There was a uh, walk out the back of our back door of our house on East Grand Avenue in Highland Park, Michigan, and uh, 
there was a plum tree and there was an apple tree, but I can't remember which was which, which was on the right, which was on the left. But I do remember this. There was an apple tree and there was a plum tree. Now, how could I at age five know that one of those trees was an apple tree and one of those trees was a plum tree. How could I know that at age five? By the fruit. And so you know, and those of you that are single, you ought to pay attention right here, man, because I'm telling you what, when you wake up three years later and you realize, man, I married crazy, <laughs> it's a little late. So... Jesus taught us to be fruit inspectors. You notice verse 22 that his faith was cooperating with his actions, that by his actions his faith was perfected and the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God and his faith was placed to his credit as righteousness and he received the name God's friend. You all see that it is because of actions that a man is pronounced righteous, not simply because of faith. It's actions. It's by actions that a man is pronounced righteous, not just by faith. In fact, in this uh, funeral service today, Sue read Hebrews 11. So in the Faith Hall of Fame, it mentions Noah, it mentions Abraham, it mentions Moses, it mentions all of these people and women, Rahab, okay? So it mentions all these people, Deborah, men and women, okay, but after it mentions the names in the Faith Hall of Fame, what does it say? Does it list their intentions? Does it talk about uh, their aspirations? What does it list? It lists their actions. Verse 25, in the same way also was not the notorious sinner Rahab, there she is, declared to be righteous because of her actions when she welcomed the spies and hurriedly helped them to escape another way. For just as the human body without a spirit is lifeless, so also faith is lifeless if it is unaccompanied by obedience. And there it is. And that's why this church gets richer and richer and richer. And that's why we get so, we're more blessed and blessed and blessed. And that's why the word's working here. And you wonder how come the word's not working everywhere. And there's famous churches. And they're supposed to be faith churches, but they're not teaching the word anymore. They're teaching Trumpolatry. Uh, they're shandying, rondying, tying my bow tying. Uh, they're pushing people, they're pushing each other down. They're doing, they're doing all kinds of stuff except what's taught in the New Testament. And that's why there's no traction. That's why there's no traction. The relationship between faith and action makes perfect sense in the Weymouth translation of the Bible and shouldn't adversely impact people from the Baptist or Anabaptist heritage as being what Martin Luther so rightly fought against in his Reformation, and that is salvation by works like what the Roman Catholic Church did in selling indulgences versus taking corresponding action on the Word of God as taught by James. That's what James was teaching, corresponding action, that, that the forces of my life, what I believe and what I say and what I do should be, all be lined up and moving in the same direction. So if I, if I see a brother who is in need, you know, years ago there was a woman and uh, she fell ill. And she lost her job because she fell ill. And we didn't have to say a word. We didn't have to make an announcement. We didn't have to make a push. And the people of this church, the good people of this church rose up. And you understand, this is a wealthy church for being a middle-class church. And, you know, somebody pitched in 100 a month. And somebody pitched in 200 a month and a bunch of people. And, and because she fell ill, she couldn't work. And I mean, her, she was covered. Her rent was covered. Her groceries were covered. It was all covered. And nobody was missing anything. And it all flowed out of abundance. Amen. Well, that's a little different from patting somebody on the head and saying, well, I hope you make it. Or patting somebody on the back and saying, God bless So he's talking about faith and actions being lined up and moving in the same direction. 
And this is, uh, this is James, and I know they don't, they don't believe this and teach this. You know, they, they talk about Mary being the perpetual virgin, but this was James. This was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for being a perpetual virgin, she sure got busy. <laughs> Because it talks about his brothers and his sisters. It's just so much nonsense. And it's, you know what it is? Darkness. And it's exactly what's happened to this country medically. Darkness. Keeping people ignorant. Keeping people ignorant. I didn't even know it until this week. A doctor friend of mine, an MD friend of ours, uh, said something, and I thought, what? And so I went to the FDA website, and I looked it up for myself. Do you know why? Do you know why, even though uh, doctors, more than a year ago, even though they had not come across this virus, more than a year ago, they tried this, they tried that. The one guy, we, we watched this documentary last night, he did research, what are other doctors doing? And he found ways, ways to treat COVID early. And compared to what was going on in his community in upstate New York, he saved 85% more than what was going on in his community. And so in this interview we watched last night, he said 85% of the dead could have been saved. 80, but even in his state, they banned, they banned hydroxychloroquine, and I don't, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an MD, I'm not a microbiologist. It's not that there's magic in the hydroxychloroquine, but he explained in that documentary, Austin can give you that if you're interested, but the hydroxychloroquine opens the cells up to receive the zinc. And the zinc, what does the zinc do? It keeps that virus from replicating. Okay, so this MD friend of ours last week said something, and I thought, what, what, what? And I went to the FDA website, and I looked it up myself. The only way they can get an emergency authorization for an experimental vaccine is if there's no other known treatment. Oh, wow. So they hid the possible treatments so they could get their emergency authorization. And according to this, this doctor, Vladimir Zelenko from upstate New York, he says, 85% of the dead could have been saved. 85%, 85%, 85%. Now, why do I bring that up? I'm not preaching about that. I think the, the course is set. I think we're headed to Daniel's 70th wink. I think Jesus is coming. I think we have not been appointed under wrath. I think the time is short. But if you think man is inherently good in 2021, you need an IQ test. Man is inherently evil. And man needs a savior. Because man is inherently wicked. But my point is not really to bring up that current event as much as to show you from current events how Satan can wreck and ruin and murder and kill and steal through ignorance. You, and then how about this? Are these, do these operate in tandem or not? Do I know what I'm talking about or not? How about this, these two things operating in tandem, fear and ignorance? 
And that's exactly what that Roman Catholic Church was doing all those years ago, you know, that the priest could send you to heaven, the priest could send you to hell, the Pope could send you to, could get your dead relatives out of purgatory. In other words, fear and ignorance, fear and ignorance. And that's why at Faith Christian Center, we're constantly telling you, this is what the Word of God says. We're giving you the chapter. We're giving you the verse. Even if we can't get it on the screens, we're giving you, we're giving you the chapter. We're giving you the verse. So you can go home and Google it, and you can look it up, or don't do that anymore. Use duck duck go and you can go home and you can look it up yourself and you can find out for yourself because we're not for ignorance and then this church is operated as normal you know this is all horse hooey the very fact that we're not all dead how do we operate as normal That's why they're shutting down those churches in Canada. They don't want evidence that contradicts their narrative. That one pastor up there in Alberta, they've arrested. They put him in prison. He's out. And then he keeps holding church. They keep arresting him. They keep putting him in jail. They put him in prison. But he says they cannot allow us to meet because he said it contradicts the narrative. We we meet. We worship God. We sing. We hold church. we're, We're sitting together and nobody gets sick, and they can't have it, so they have to shut us down. And that's why now they've given up, I mean, they haven't given up jailing preachers, but now they've gone to burning churches, burning them down. You just have to understand how odd I am. I trust the Lord. I'm the kind of guy that if I, if I ran a convenience store, I would have a sign behind the cash register that said, in God we trust, everybody else pays cash. Amen. I trust the Lord. Amen. And you know what I trust? I trust the way he designed me. Yes. Okay, let me throw one more thing out. I learned also from this MD that's a friend of ours and a friend of the ministry. This is a human biology. Bio, bio, how, whatever you pronounce it, I can spell it, virology 101, every variant of any virus is more contagious but less lethal. Now, see, I'm a preacher. I'm not an MD. I'm a preacher. So, you know, when, when she taught us this, you know what my first thought is? That's the design of God. In other words, so a virus hits, And then every variant is more contagious but less lethal. You know what that is? I see the beauty of God in that because I'm a preacher. And what I see in that is God, our gracious, beautiful, wonderful, heavenly Father, helping our bodies build immunities to this or that. Does that make sense? And of course it's more contagious. They locked down Australia, the whole continent, for the fifth time, over two cases. If you have not figured it out, and I plead with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must be born again, because the days are short. I stood up here last Sunday, and I could barely speak because of what the Spirit of God whispered to me when I stood there. When I stood there Sunday, you know what the Spirit of God whispered to, whispered to me? As clear as I've ever heard him, he whispered to me, there won't be many more of these. He was talking about Sundays to worship God and to preach the word of God. The time is short. The Antichrist is on the way. We see his forerunners operating right now in the world today. We see the spirit. They have the technology to keep you from buying and selling. It's all here. So live for God 100%. Don't hold back anything. Live for God 100%. Trust in the Lord. And he will make the crooked pathway in your life straight. Believe in him. And and even if it's me, check it out. I give you the chapter and verse, check it out. See if we know what we're talking about, check it out. 
But you put your faith in God. You put your faith in the word of God. You look to the Lord and he will uphold you and he will save you and he will heal you and he will deliver you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not any man. And you can't trust these political parties any further than you could pick them up and throw them. Amen. Amen. And there's no help coming from the Supreme Court. There's no help coming from any political party. These are the last days. We are marching to the end. We are marching right toward, we're not in, I don't believe we're in Daniel's 70th week, but we are marching toward it. And Jesus is coming. And I am not going to miss this. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.